Welcome to Backlog Books. My name is Kara. This is the podcast where I, once again, fail to read something off of my to-be-read shelf and instead pick up an old favorite. One of these days I will get through that shelf, but, uh, it's not today. Please be prepared for spoilers. Whether you are a 41 books a year reader or a one book a year reader, thank you for joining me. A quick note here, I will not be putting out an episode on December 22nd. I want to take a holiday break so that I have time to read my annual 10 books in December. I'm doing pretty well. I've already read three, and it's only been a week. So you can expect episode 15 of this podcast to be out on January 4th. Let's get started. Today, we are talking about Guards, Guards by Terry Pratchett. I'm doing several things different this time, so bear with me. I'm trying to decide if I like this format better. Guards, Guards was published in 1989. My copy has 403 pages, and I read it between October 13th and 18th in 2020. Our author, Sir Terry Pratchett, was born in 1948 and died in 2015. He's best known for the Discworld series, for which he has won numerous awards. He was knighted in 2009 for services to literature. And when I was 12, I went to a book signing of his in Windsor, and there's a picture of me and him that got published in the local newspaper, and that will be in the show notes if I can find it. Here is the summary of Guards, Guards. Long believed extinct, a superb specimen of Draco Nobilis, noble dragon, has appeared in Discworld's greatest city. Not only does this unwelcome visitor have a nasty habit of charbroiling everything in its path, in rather short order, it is crowned king. Meanwhile, back at Unseen University, an ancient and long-forgotten volume, The Summoning of Dragons, is missing from the library's shelves. To the rescue come Captain Vimes, Constable Carrot, and the rest of the Night Watch, who, along with other brave citizens, risk everything, including a good roasting, to dethrone the flying monarch and restore order to Ankh-Morpork pork before it's burned to a crisp. I admit I'm not doing very well with my stated goal for this podcast of reading through my to-be-read shelf. There those books sit, waiting, hoping, dreaming of being acknowledged, while I haphazardly check books out of the library at a whim and reread old favorites. Guards, Guards is an old favorite. I picked it up because I was mad about <clears throat> Nevernight and wanted to read something I knew I would like, which is my recommendation for you if you ever get stuck after reading a book you really loved or really hated. If you pick up something you love and read it again, it works like a reset, or at least it does for me. It's like a palate cleanser. After reading this one, I'm ready to pick up anything. The Discworld books are mostly comedy and satire. They love to poke fun at fantasy and literary tropes while also making great use of those same tropes. Discworld covers just an astonishing number of topics, from Hollywood to Macbeth and the printing press to trains, and that's just a few that I can name off the top of my head. They tend to be complicated, sprawling stories, so I hope that this comes across coherently. Somewhere 
In space, there is a giant turtle, swimming along, headed somewhere only it knows. The turtle is supporting four elephants on its back. The elephants, in their turn, are supporting a giant disc. This is the Discworld. Guards Guards begins with a secret society, a cobbled-together group of outsiders who are dissatisfied with the way the great city of Ankh-Morpork is run. Their leader, the Supreme Grand Master, has organized them and directed them to a goal. They're going to unseat the patrician, the ruler of the city, and reinstate the old line of kings. The Supreme Grand Master wants a king who will be a puppet, easily controlled, to give him the power he wants. He has convinced his cohort that a king will bring justice and order to the city. And how, dear listener, do you unseat a patrician and install a king? You summon a dragon. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a city under attack by a dragon will soon have a hero come to the rescue. It's just common sense! The characters in Discworld books are very genre-savvy. A dragon appears and a hero will follow who will defeat the dragon and then be crowned king. That's just how it goes. There's even a bit later on where a few of the characters attempt to manufacture a million-to-one chance. Because a million-to-one chance has to succeed. That's just the nature of the universe. So, the secret society steals a book, helpfully called The Summoning of Dragons, from the Wizards University and begins the process of summoning a dragon. Not as hard as you would think to summon a dragon, turns out. While this is going on, we are introduced to the Night Watch which is the remnants of the city's police force. What you have to understand about Ankh-Morpork is that it is full of pragmatists. The patrician has formalized the Thieves' Guild, among many other previously illegal guilds. The thieves are much better, it turns out, at reducing crime than the Watch ever was. After all, to reduce crime, the Watch has to work harder. The Thieves' Guild just has to work less. What remains of the Watch is our captain, Samuel Vimes, depressed and drunk, Corporal Nobby Nobs, who technically counts as a human, and Sergeant Fred Colon, slow and stolid. They don't have much to do, except stay out of the way. No one in the city takes the Watch seriously anymore. The Watch and the city, however, are about to get a sharp shock. Carrot Iron Founderson, sent away from his home with dwarves in the mountains to live among his own kind, that's humans, is about to join the Watch. Carrot is earnest and full of enthusiasm for the law and for doing things like arresting criminals. On his first day, he marches into the Thieves' Guild and arrests their leader, taking him to the Patrician's Palace. The patrician's secretary, Lupine Wands, who may now be regretting accepting Carrot's application to the city watch, tells Captain Vimes to keep a rein on his new recruit. They don't want the watch to go around arresting thieves, after all. While Carrot begins his first confusing days on the job, strange things start to happen in the city. Hmm, stranger than usual. 
Buildings are being set on fire and strange footprints are showing up nearby. Strange, huge footprints. Captain Vimes is told not to investigate and that there's nothing to worry about. He says, yes, sir, and then goes to the only dragon specialist around, Lady Sybil Ramkin, who raises swamp dragons. Swamp dragons are like the pocket version of dragons. They're, you know, small, and they're basically a collection of chemicals and stress poised to explode if they hiccup at the wrong time. Vimes, getting the swamp dragon tour from Lady Sybil, is gifted a swamp dragon of his very own, soon to be named Errol. Lady Sybil assures him that big dragons, like Vimes is asking about, haven't been seen in centuries. Outside, by virtue of cinematic timing, a huge dragon swoops by and burns down another building. Vimes watches in horror. Of all the cities in the world and a dragon had to fly into his, Lady Sybil starts taking notes. By all of nature's laws and rules, it shouldn't exist. Something that big shouldn't be able to fly and certainly shouldn't breathe fire. But there it is. Now that there is pretty strong evidence of the dragon's existence, the city puts out a reward. The lure on the fishing line to catch a hero to save them. Soon enough, drawn by the threads of fate, reward money, and the secret society's supreme grand master, a hero arrives. He's very handsome, and wielding a very shiny sword. The city gathers to see what will happen. Whether the hero wins or loses isn't really the point. It's sure to be a good show either way. Now it's hero versus dragon. Tiny, easily roastable hero versus huge, fire-breathing dragon. The hero takes one swing with his shiny sword, and the dragon disappears in a puff of magic smoke. Well, it's not quite the show the city was hoping for. But hey, at least the dragon is gone. They carry the hero up to the patrician's palace, they lock up the patrician, and claim the old throne for the hero. The secret society is pumped. They have successfully summoned a dragon and banished a dragon, paving the way for kings to return to Ankh-Morpork. Captain Vimes doesn't like it. Not only is he staunchly against kings as an institution, it all seems to have been wrapped up too neatly. He tries to warn people that the dragon is still around, but no one takes him seriously. After all, the City Watch hasn't been a relevant or useful force in decades. No one in power listens, even when another building is burned down, this time the headquarters of the Secret Society. Though the Society is now gone, the Supreme Grand Master remains. He got what he wanted out of the society and used the dragon one last time to destroy his accomplices. In what is now the king's palace, Lupine Wants, former secretary to the patrician, takes up the reins of power, satisfied that all has gone according to plan. Well, that doesn't last long. At the coronation, where the hero finally gets to become king, the dragon returns even though Wants has not summoned it. 
it has found an alternate way into the world. It doesn't need a person to summon it anymore. Now, no longer bound by human constraint, the dragon kills the hero, the would-be king, takes the crown, and flies to the palace. Vimes, an astute student of humanity, begins to laugh, because it's that or cry. He knows what comes next. The people will claim the dragon as their king, and say it was their idea all along. Honestly, a king dragon is a good deal, from a certain perspective. Foreign relations will probably be a lot friendlier, for a start. There is, however, at least one downside to a dragon as king, which is their dietary needs. The dragon feels it has very reasonable demands. One highborn made in a month will suffice for its diet. I mean, it's not bad when you consider that the dragon is the size of a skyscraper. Unfortunately, this is Ankh-Morpork. They haven't had kings or highborn anything for hundreds of years. The closest they've got is, I'm sorry to say, Lady Sybil Ramkin, our local swamp dragon breeder. Vimes may be cynical and he may be a drunk, but there are some things that you just don't do. Letting the nice woman who gave you a pet swamp dragon get eaten by a giant dragon is one of those things. He runs through crowds of people, all of whom are standing around waiting for someone else to speak up first, to say they won't stand for it, that they won't willingly sacrifice people to a dragon. No one speaks. Vimes can't blame them. They're scared, and honestly, so is he. But he's tired of standing by and letting his city fall apart. He's part of the city watch, and his job is to protect all these stupid, scared people. He frees Lady Sybil, and they almost get away before the dragon comes for them. Staring down the fire-breathing end of a dragon is not for the faint of heart. Vimes has time to regret all of his choices before they hear in the distance the sound of an incoming swamp dragon. It's Errol to the rescue. Errol the swamp dragon who has been eating his way through Vimes's belongings and being, in general, a fire hazard. It's like a kitten facing down a tiger. Cute, yet doomed. Errol manages, through sheer dumb luck, to knock the dragon out of the sky for a moment. It crashes into the city. The people of Ankh-Morpork, acting in the finest tradition of mobs everywhere, surge forward, determined to kill the dragon. The mob reaches the downed dragon to find... Carrot, the youngest, newest member of the City Watch. Carrot, who believes in law and order, and that people are inherently good, has arrested the dragon. He's arrested the dragon. Vimes is seconds away from telling Carrot to stop being ridiculous, get down, and let the mob kill the injured dragon. Lady Sybil has a different perspective. The dragon was just doing what dragons do. It wouldn't have been in the city at all if a person hadn't summoned it. And besides, in his heart, 
Vimes believes in the law as much as Carrot does. He takes a much more cynical approach, but he believes in it. The dragon had been arrested. In Vimes's world, that meant it got a fair trial, no matter how much the mob called for blood. Vimes is saved from figuring out how to tie up a huge dragon and hold it for trial by the return of Errol. Now it's Lady Sybil's turn to see where this is going. Vimes knows people. Lady Sybil knows dragons. It turns out the King Dragon is in fact the Queen Dragon. And she was very impressed by Errol knocking her out of the sky. The dragons, unimpeded by human ideas about arrests and trials, fly out of the city together, destined for distant horizons. There's still the problem of Lupine Wants, the Supreme Grand Master, the person who summoned the dragon and turned it on the city. Vimes has, at this point, figured out who's responsible for the dragon, and when the dragons fly off, he takes the watch to the palace to arrest Wants. It doesn't go quite according to plan. Wants manages to trip and fall into the dragon's horde, dying. But at least he won't be summoning any more dragons. Now, technically, heroes of the city, the Night Watch is summoned before the reinstated patrician and offered whatever reward they want. They can name their price. What will it be? Diamonds? Their weight in gold? New homes, titles, legions of servants. The watchmen put their heads together and decide what they really want. The best reward for saving the city from a dragon. They would like a raise? And a dartboard, please. What more could a hero really want? At the end, the triumphant watchmen take a moment to sit and have a beer together. They laugh about the idea of a long-lost king returning to Ankh-Morpork pork and reinstating the monarchy. Having a birthmark and a shiny sword doesn't make you the rightful king. I mean, look at Carrot. He's an orphan, with a birthmark of a crown and an ancient inherited sword who showed up at the city just in time to save it from a dragon. It's ridiculous to think that he's the rightful king of Ankh-Morpork, pork Isn't it? My final word on Guards Guards. I love Discworld. I think this book is a great introduction to the city and the people of Ankhmore Pork, which is one of the main settings in Discworld. The way Sir Terry writes is a delight to read every time. He uses footnotes and I find them delightful rather than infuriating. Looking at you, never night. It's very common for people not to know where to start with Discworld. There are 41 books, so it can be a little intimidating to look at that and think, which one would I even pick up first? Officially, I recommend Guards Guards as your first book in Discworld, but to be perfectly honest, the best place to start is with whatever is available to you, wherever you are. I want to say I'm very sorry to have left out the librarian of the Wizards University, who is an orangutan and tracks down the stolen book on how to summon dragons by traveling through time in the library. The librarian is delightful and deserves a podcast episode dedicated entirely to him, but unlike him, I am bound by the constraints of time. If you want more media like this, obviously read the rest of Discworld. Also try Good Omens. 
which was written by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. Also, possibly The Princess Bride by William Goldman. Next episode, I will be talking about Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency by Douglas Adams. And if you've read it already, I'd love to hear what you think about it. You can find the pod on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast. Comments, questions, what's your favorite Discworld book? You can email me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. The music is by Joseph McDade. You can hear more of his work at josephmcdade.com. Thank you for spending this time with me. I'll talk to you in January. 